I'm uh, mindful of the fact that, as Churchill said, that the head cannot absorb more than the seat can endure, uh, with so many sitting on the floor today, especially because today we are going to be thinking about thinking. So it's extremely important that um, uh, I don't talk for too long, so I'll try my best. This is the third in our We Do Real series. And if we are serious about being real Christians in the real world with some relevance to the things that our neighbors and our friends and our colleagues are are thinking and, and feeling, then we are going to have to be people who are thoughtful, who are inquisitive, who are reflective. Jesus commands us to love the Lord our God with all of our hearts and souls, all of our strength, and all of our minds. And I find this very interesting because I've often heard talks about how we're supposed to love God with all of our hearts, passionate worshippers. And I've sometimes heard talks about how we're to love God with all of our strength, with our skills and our abilities and in the workplace. But I don't know if I've ever heard a sermon about what earth it means to love God with all of our minds, even though Jesus is saying this is integral to Christian faith. And uh, so let's look at that passage together, Luke chapter 10, uh, verses 25 to 28. I think it's going to come up on the screens. Luke 10, uh, 25 to 28. If it doesn't, then just look it up on your phones. Here we go, Luke 10. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. If we are going to live then we are going to need to be people who work out how on earth to love God with all of our minds. Clearly, God expects us to harness our thinking, to exercise our intelligence for his glory. Uh, He doesn't ask us to kiss our brains goodbye when we become Christians, quite the reverse. And perhaps this sounds a little obvious, But the truth is that we have all, I'm afraid, I suspect, met Christians who are so narrow-minded that their ears seem to touch at times, who are full of new ideas, uh, suspicious of questions. Some Christians, I think, would rather die than think. Um, And then, as well as the narrow-minded ones, there are the Christians who are so open-minded that their brains are falling out. Uh, they, They don't really have any absolutes. They are shallow. And um, I I did a little bit of Googling, and here are some church signs. There's a sign outside one church that says, Reason is the greatest enemy faith has. (laughs) Genuinely. Can you imagine it? Another one that says, We love hurting people. (laughs) Disturbing, isn't it? Uh, obviously, what they're trying to say is, if you are hurting, we'll love you. Oh, here we go. Reason is the greatest enemy faith has. Next one. 
We love, can you believe it? Those are Episcopalians uh, declaring they love hurting people. Uh, the next one, take a look at this. Yes, Methodists. <laughs> Don't let worries kill you. Let the church help. <laughs> and I sometimes wonder if God feels a little bit like this. Dear Christians, please stop using me as an excuse to say stupid stuff. Love God. Um, now, of course, the church doesn't have a monopoly on stupidity. Uh, but we are called to be thoughtful, as I say, inquisitive, relevant, sensible, intellectually and culturally engaged. Students, that means that as you start back at university, I'm so sorry to tell you this, but your studies are part of your worship and your witness. Uh, they're important. Uh, those of us uh, who, who work, one of the marks of our Christian faith will be the thought that we put into preparing for a meeting. Uh, for example, because we're called to love God with all of our minds. If you're not sure whether you, you believe in God, um, you know, God, I believe, doesn't sort of come and, and say, well, you're stuffed then. He says, let's enter a conversation. Let's dialogue. You say, well, how on earth do I do that? Well, um, why don't you think about coming along on the Alpha course we're running, what I love about that is that uh, it's a place where anyone can ask their questions. Some people start as atheists and they end up as agnostics, saying, well, I maybe think that Christians aren't completely mad after all. That's wonderful. Uh, some people have what I would call encounters with God, and they realize it's true. Thinking is part of that. Dialogue is part of that. It can't get you all the way. There ultimately has to be some moment of a leap of faith, but there doesn't anything. You don't get married without a leap of faith. You can't rationalize every possible in, uh, eventuality. And so, uh, and so um, uh, wherever you're at, you're called today, you're called to be someone who engages their uh, mind. C.S. Lewis, um, and I think Cheston said the same thing. I don't know which said it first. Uh, uh, said that you're not supposed to um, come into the room, switch on the light, and stare at the light bulb but you switch on the light so you can look around the room. And sometimes as Christians, I think, what we, we propagate is this notion that we've just got to look at Jesus and talk about Jesus and think about Jesus all the time. Instead of thinking, no, in the light of Jesus, we can have things to say about the whole of life, about every aspect of culture. Whatever your job, whatever your interests, the light of Jesus can enlighten uh, that. And so, of course, there's a time for gazing on Jesus and worshipping him, lost in wonder, love, and praise. But there's also a time for taking a Christian mindset and applying it to the world in which we live. The aim isn't just to think more about the Bible, but to think more biblically about life. And um, she's going to hate this, but I, I, had, I, I saw this in, 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 in my wife, in Sammy. Um, because, as most of you know, it's an open secret. I mean, Sammy and I have decided that long ago, when God called us to church leadership, that we should live openly, uh, that we wouldn't sort of have secrets, that, that there's going to be a lot of blessing, a lot of challenges, but we just had to realize that, that we, we, we were called to be open with people about the things in our lives. And so most of you know that Sammy was very, very sick and had to have brain surgery and um, obviously came through that wonderfully. But as she began to recover from that and from seizures and different things, a growing sort of fire 
um, so, so began to consume her. And it was to prove that her brain still worked <laughs> and that she, she could think. Uh, and uh, it's a long story, but she ended up deciding that she wanted to go to university because the thing is, Sammy dropped out of school age 17, didn't even do A-levels, didn't finish her A-levels, and had always just thought, well, I'm not academic, I'm not clever. And uh, actually, she went and got a job as a receptionist in a shop-fitting company. I think within about a year, was managing a million-pound account. So she can't be that stupid, but that's another story. And, and so uh, we began this conversation. She realized, I'm going to have to go back to college and do A-levels with 17-year-olds as a less young woman than them. And it was one of the most courageous things I'd seen. She started to you know, traipse into Guildford College to, 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 to do A-levels. And then out of that, um, she, she, she um, got a, um, a place, an unconditional offer from Kingston Uni. In fact, we wrote her applications. <laughs> we, I helped Sammy write the application, and it was like Dead Poet Society. We said, um, I want to study English literature because I nearly died and realized that English literature is all that matters in life. <laughs> rubbish. It's not true at all. <laughs> but anyway, they all, all, all these um, professors having midlife crises and wondering if their vocation meant anything at all in life suddenly felt uh, validated and vindicated by Sammy's application and offered her unconditional offers. Uh, so uh, she, she stepped onto Kingston Uni. It's beautiful because uh, on her first day, she got the train into. Uh, uh, Serbs and I think walked walked through into in, um, down to down down to the university campus and she said I, I walked past the laundrette where I used to drop out of A levels and smoke cigarettes <laughs> and uh, uh, by my old by my old school she she, she doesn't anymore us <laughs> our son is having a crisis at the moment and and. Um, and, and there she is, um, all these years later, walking into the university. And then here's, here's the, the real thing for me. We, um, one of the things I don't tell you about long-term illness is that you can get bored with each other. Um, so often, Sammy and I would go out for a glass of wine or something, and she'd say to me, what have you been up to? And I'd tell her all the exciting things I've been doing, all the places I'd been, all the cool things that were going on. I'd see her getting more and more resentful, but pretending to be vaguely interested and happy. How nice for you. And then I'd say, what have you been up to? And she would say, nothing much. I had to sleep into about 11 today because I was so exhausted. And I got up, I managed to do a bit of housework. And I was just getting bored. And um, it's not dramatic, but it's annoying erosion of relationship. And so after she started at university, I, 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 I and we, we, we had said we don't know if Sam will ever be well enough to sort of do anything with her degree at the other end, but at least let's give it a try. And we went out to Pizza Express, I think it was, and we sat there, had a glass of wine, and I turned to her and said, so what have you been up to then? And she said, oh, I've been studying Ode to a Nightingale. And, and let me tell you, all of his family had died of consumption, and his brother was now dying of it, and he decided to nurse his brother until he died, and knew he'd probably catch it and die of it as well. And so this is the background to him writing this beautiful poem, and as she starts sharing about the meaning of this poem, Ode to a Nightingale, she begins to weep, and I look across the table, and I am more in love with my wife than I can remember ever being, because suddenly, as well as being brave and beautiful, she is fascinating. 
her, her mind is being engaged. You know, here's the thing. Interesting people are always interested people. People who are just interested in anything, in, in all sorts of areas of life. And it's one of the things I notice amongst people who are highly successful. They're not just interested in the thing they're successful for. If you're into hot air ballooning, they're going to be saying, tell me about that. If you're into oil painting, they'll be saying, I don't know anything, tell me. If you're into Swedish thrash metal, they'll be saying, where should I start? Direct, you know, they're interested. If people who are interested are inevitably interesting. Our minds are the greatest battleground on earth. They are where we win the battles of our lives and where we lose the battles of our lives. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses uh, 4 and 5 say, The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we, listen to this, take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We are called to take our thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. How do we do that? Well, I'm going to change the metaphor from a battleground to a garden. I want you to imagine that your mind is a garden. And there's just three things I want to, uh, us to think about together. The first is that we need to weed out the bad. The second is we need to seed the good. And the third is we're going to need to feed the soil. Okay. So first of all, we need to weed out the bad, or as uh, Paul says here, take every thought captive. We're called to be ruthless with our thinking because your mind is the shape of your future. Every temptation begins in the mind. Adultery does not begin in bed. It begins a hundred times in someone's head. It's in our minds that we will fail long before we fail anywhere else. Our thoughts can be deeply destructive to ourselves, to our relationships, to our world, or they can be incredibly constructive. You can't help what pops into your head, but you don't have to invite it to stay for tea. You know... Things come into our heads all the time, but we can banish them. We don't have to entertain them. Breaking Bad, that TV series, voted, um, well, it's won more awards than any other. I think um, uh, um, the Guinness Book of Records actually says that it is the highest rated show of all time, Breaking Bad. What is the theme of Breaking Bad? Well, it is the story of a brilliant man using his mind in a twisted and increasingly depraved way. Shakespeare, Othello. Iago, the great protagonist, is a man who's allowed his mind to be consumed with bad stuff, with jealousy and bitterness. And he then begins to twist his boss, Othello's mind, 
and sows such envy and jealousy into Othello that Othello ends up killing his own wife. That story translates down the generations because we know it's true. The power of our thinking for bad or for good. One of my friends, who's actually a brilliantly clever man, did something really stupid. He he said to me, Pete, I've been having a lot of bad dreams, nightmares, troubled sleep. And I've only just worked out that I've been reading books on the Second World War and the Holocaust before turning my light out at night. What we feed into our minds will obviously affect us profoundly. You are a mashup of what you let into your mind. Lies can take root. I'm ugly. I'm a failure. I'll never be free of this. I can't help it. Even suicidal thoughts can take root in our thinking. Anorexia, depression, Alzheimer's, these are diseases of the mind. Even the killing fields of northern Iraq and of Syria and of northern Nigeria are the consequence of abused minds, of confused thinking, of evil ideology. So we must learn to filter our thoughts if we allow violent images into our head, if we allow pornographic images into our head, they will stay there. And you are going to struggle ever to get them out. I know people who God's wonderfully set them free from all sorts of pornographic addictions, but they say, I still can't get certain images out of my head. It's no longer addiction. It's no longer habitual. I feel free of it, but the stuff I've allowed into my head, I just can't get out. Be careful before you let something in through your eyes or your ears into your heart and into your future. How do we do, how do, we do this? How do we weed out bad thoughts once they're there? Well, the Scriptures tell us with timeless wisdom from God himself, that when you bring bring something from the dark into the light, it often shrivels up. And so if there are things, thoughts, patterns of thinking in you that you want to weed out, it is often through confession, which sounds very religious, but it actually just means sitting down with someone you trust and saying, I need to get something off my chest. And I'm having to overcome the fear that you're going to reject me and think less of me because I'm about to admit to you what's going on. Yesterday, a member of our cabinet, I think he was, but certainly a minister, had to resign because some hack posing as an intern persuades him to send indecent pictures of himself through uh, presumably by email or whatever. We can have such filth inside us, but when we expose it to the light, when we open up to people, when we say, I'm going to quit pretending, here's what I'm struggling with, or here's what I've done, it's amazing how the power goes. The number of times I've had to sit with people and say, I've really screwed up in an area, I've messed up, 
and I just want to tell someone. And, I, 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 and I, I, it felt so big and so terrible. And then when I actually confess it, oh, it's like this load lifts. And you realize, oh, the world doesn't hate me. In fact, this person is still smiling at me. Often they, they trust me more afterwards, not less. Ian and I have often had very frank conversations about just stuff we need to weed out of our thinking. And so uh, we, we bring uh, uh, the things into the light with confession, with apology, with repentance. Sometimes we need to receive prayer for thoughts that we've allowed to take root in our head. We obviously need to set safeguards, accountability. In our house, I don't even... We, I think we've got is it three remote controls. I don't even know what they do. I can't understand. Why can't you have one remote control? I don't understand it. Why can't there just be big buttons that say what they mean? I, you know, and now I need, I need reading glasses. I can't even see the stupid thing. The whole thing is bewildering to me. And, and I think through our television, you probably it's possible out there to see really dreadful things. I don't really know. And I'm not, I'm not pretending to be particularly holy. I'm just stupid. Uh, but I'm not planning to get particularly acquainted with how it all works. But I do know there's some password that Sammy has set that neither the boys nor me know which I think stops us looking at really dodgy stuff. Is that right? I, I suspect if I ever tried to look at something dodgy, her face would appear on the screen going like this. Or I don't know. Set filters. If you find that there are seeds, bad seeds that have taken root in your thinking that are habitual and you just can't get free of, no matter how often you say sorry to God, um, it may be that you actually need to Take that a little more seriously, get some counseling, uh, and actually begin to work through what's at the root of that. Sometimes patterns of thought can come to us that actually are clinical, that we, 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 we you know, that we, sometimes we, we, we depression it's, it can, can be uh, clinical, it, an illness, something we need to actually be set free from using medicine, and we don't frown on that here. Um, and uh, look, listen to Mick Brooks's brilliant talk. Uh, on, uh, on the mind um, to, to find out more. So we need to weed the bad out. Secondly, we need to seed good stuff into the garden of our minds. Philippians 4, verse 8. The Apostle Paul says, Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, Think about such things. He's saying that you can plant your minds and cultivate your thinking with goodness and beauty. When choosing what music to listen to in the car, what TV program to watch, what film to see, what book to read, even what friends to see, because some friends are good for our thinking and some are bad. Please notice, though, that music and art doesn't have to be Christian to be true and good and noble and important. Good things, true things aren't always nice. Sometimes violence and darkness are necessary in order to say something important. Twelve years a slave, Schindler's List, whatever. Some of the greatest thinkers of all time, of course, have been people who have been seeking to use their minds for the glory of God. Um, 
Anselm, Augustine, Blaise Pascal, Flannery O'Connor, Graham Greene, uh, Isaac Newton. Here he is on the left. He's got quite cool hair, I think. But, but there's Isaac Newton, arguably the father of modern science, the, the, one of the greatest thinkers of all time. He once said, gravity explains the motions of the planets, but it cannot explain who set the planets in motion. God governs all things and knows all that is or can be done. And then the next one, that's the 17th century. In the 18th century, that next one is Arthur Guinness. And he was, as you probably know, inspired in Dublin Cathedral to create an alternative to gin. And uh, so God gave us Guinness. Either that or the Irish have been slightly highlighting the story. And, you know, a Guinness worker, the Guinness family are fascinating because they're, um, it's only one half of them, a very godly family, and were determined to thoughtfully extend the kingdom. And so a Guinness worker during the 1920s received a 10% higher wage, enjoyed full medical and dental care, massage services, reading rooms, subsidized meals, a company-funded pension, subsidies for funeral expenses, educational benefits, sports facilities, free concerts, lectures and entertainment, and a guaranteed two pints of Guinness a day. 19th century, that's George Cadbury. I hope I'm not making anyone hungry or thirsty here. Chocolate magnet. But he didn't just make chocolate, he built affordable homes for his workers. Some of the most innovative towns in the country at that time were built by his fortune. People were given gardens. That was unusual. They were given free education. He established a lending bank for his employers. At one point, Cadbury bought a newspaper and used it to campaign for old age pensioners and against the sweatshops that were multiplying. He was a Christian man determined to use what God had given him intellectually, in his business interests, financially, for the extension of the kingdom. We are called to use our minds for the glory of God and for the extension of his kingdom. And this is uh, especially important, I think, as uh, we prepare for um, Alpha, because we live at a time where our faith is under intellectual attack. And we're told in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Always be prepared to give the reason. Now, the word for reason there in the Greek is apologia. It's the word from which we get apologetics, you know, an argument for something. It's the word from which we get logic. We need to be able to come back to people who say, I think it's all rubbish and you're nuts to believe what you do. We need to be able to come back with some apologetics. We need to be able to come back with some logic in our responses. Alpha itself, if you think, well, that's a bit tricky. Alpha itself is is a context in which you will hear a lot of apologia, a lot of logic, a lot of reason, a lot of argument that is coherent. See Ben sitting there. Ben, I think, pretty much started Alpha thinking it's all a load of what's-its, and by the end, he was just convinced. He said, I think it's true. And then on the Holy Spirit uh, weekend, had an encounter with God and said, I don't think it's just true in my head, but I think I've experienced something in my heart. That was part of his journey to faith. 
95% of people probably in this area are nowhere near a church today because they think it's irrelevant. The Church of England, 1971 to 2007, declined by 43%. And that was at a time where our general population increased by 10%. Less than 2% of the population of this country will be anywhere near an Anglican church today. The average age in an Anglican church is 61 uh, this isn't me knocking the Anglicans, but that's the dominant church in our country, and that's the state of play. We have a crisis on our hands, and so we must engage intellectually as we seek to make the good news of Jesus known. Thirdly and finally, I've said that we've got to weed out the bad from our thinking. We've got to seed the good but thirdly and finally, we need to feed the soil. This was a revelation to me. when uh, My mum is a brilliant gardener. And uh, whenever I go to her garden, it looks phenomenal. And I come home and look at my garden, it doesn't look phenomenal. And I found out that there are two reasons for this. The first is she does about 50 times more work on her garden than me. The second reason is she feeds the soil. Can you believe it? I had no idea. She puts stuff on it, manure. And, and digs it in. She feeds the soil, and that makes the flowers happy. We need to feed the soil of our minds. What does that mean? Well, we all need to make sure that in the busyness of life, we create space for reflection. There's a book by a Nobel Prize winner that's just come out, in which he says, we're very good in the modern age at making intuitive, fast decisions. We go through life at such a pace, we, we make decisions. But he said, we are increasingly bad at making considered decisions. And he uses this example. He says, if we were walking down the street together, and I turned to you and said, what's two times three? You'd say it's six and keep walking. But if we were walking down the street together, and I said, what's 34 times 27? Every single one of us would stop and go, um and work it out. Why did you stop walking? It is because when your brain is being fully exercised, you need to focus and stop doing anything else. And if you're continually on the move, if you're continually doing, 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 you don't have space to make the really deep and important choices and decisions that will affect the outcome of your life or the lives of others. We need space to read, you know, I, I try to, when I'm at the gym or when I'm on the train, you know, uh, listen to podcasts that will stretch my thinking. Some of them are Christian, some of them aren't. That old saying is true, change of pace, change of place, change of perspective. Sometimes we need retreat, just times where we <sighs> detox and step back from life. It's important to do our thinking in the context of community because in this room right now, for example, there is diversity of opinion. There's probably political diversity. You're not all of one political persuasion. Um, th th there's certainly, obviously, men and women. There are different age groups, quite a diverse age range these days. That the, 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 we had different life experiences. And so you can't really ultimately do good thinking just on your own. 
We need to be provoked by one another. You know that lovely old Indian story about all the blind men who come up and they feel an elephant and one feels the trunk and says an elephant is like a tree and the other feels his tail and says the elephant is like a snake and someone feels the middle and says the elephant is like a mountain. And the point of the story is no one of us really know anything about life, but they're wrong because if all of those blind men talked to each other, they could together construct quite a good idea of what an elephant is. So we need to talk. We need to listen. We need to be provoked by different opinions. Can I encourage you, if you take a regular newspaper, why don't you this week buy the very newspaper you would be least likely ever to want to buy and read it and be annoyed and provoked by a different way of thinking? That might help feed the soil. Please note, too, though, that we're not called to worship the intellect. Isaiah 55, God says, My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My ways are different to your ways. And, and therefore, it's possible to overthink. Notice that we're supposed to love God with all our hearts and souls and minds and strength. That means we love God with our minds in the context of loving God with our strengths and also with our hearts. In other words, you must do your thinking in the context of passion and feeling, heart and action and activity, strength. And uh, I know people who st- sit there thinking, 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 thinking so hard that they never do anything. They are paralyzed by overthinking. I know men who are too scared ever to propose to their girlfriend because they have overthought every possible eventuality. I know lots of people who are not yet Christians who are about 85% Christian, but they just they just they say, I've got, to, I've got to think my way there 100%, but that last 15%, that's the leap of faith that there is in any meaningful commitment in life. And so we must think but we must think in the context of community and the context of activity and the context of emotion, albeit sometimes taking space to reflect. Have you ever watched the face of a baby when it tastes ice cream for the first time? It's so cool. You've got to do it. I bet there's videos on YouTube because there's three clear stages. I've watched this several times. First of all, first of all, the baby's expression says, um, ouch, I don't like this. The second expression is, why are you doing this to me? And the third is, oh, glory. <laughs> that's, that's the progression. When we are provoked with a thought that is not our normal thought, when we begin to learn from a new source, when, 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 when our learning takes us into uncomfortable areas to address uncomfortable questions, we're like a baby with ice cream. Initially, it's, oh, I don't like this. And, and then it's a bit like, why is anyone doing this to me? And then often it's, ah. And just as it's a good thing for a baby to learn to like ice cream, so it's a good thing for us to explore other ideas. Let me draw this together uh, with one final scripture. Romans 12, verse 2. The Apostle Paul says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. It is by the renewing of our minds that we are transformed. You want to be different? You're here today thinking, I want to change this behavior. I don't like this about me. I want to be different in some way. The key is the renewal of your 
mind, of your thinking. It is the mechanism of divine transformation. It is also, according to this passage, the mechanism by which we come to understand God's will. Because it says then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. So if you're needing guidance today, if you're wanting to be wiser, you're wanting to make better decisions, you're wanting to hear God's voice more, you need a renewed mind. John Stott, who was a great statesman of the Christian faith, a great Bible teacher, uh, he says this about this verse, Christian conversion means total renewal of the mind. Our old outlook led to conformity to the crowd. Our new outlook has led us into moral nonconformity, out of concern for the will of God. Our fallen mind followed the way of the world. Our renewed mind is engrossed with the will of God as revealed in the word of God. Between the two lies repentance, a complete change of mind or outlook. And the best example I can think of to illustrate that change of mind that comes through repentance, turning away from sin and towards God, so that our mind can be changed and our heart can be changed and our lives can be changed, is my friend Dave Landrum. Uh, Dave grew up in Liverpool uh, in a very rough crowd. He was a scaffolder. Um, and it, it was a sort of gang culture, and um, he didn't have any Christian faith. Dave was so strong, he could jump from the top of scaffold, uh, of like, um, you know, a first floor scaffold. He could just jump down holding the poles, didn't bother with the ladders. He was that strong. And he's hard and tough as nails. And then um, through his wife, Jill, um, she, 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 she um, became a Christian. He started going to church. He became a Christian. The fruit of him getting saved was fascinating. His mind came alive. His intellect came alive. And he began to study. A scaffolder, rough as anything, a scally, he began to study. And he found out he was brilliant. He would never have found out if he hadn't become a Christian. And Dave Landrum got a degree. And then he ended up with a PhD, and then he ended up as a professor, a scaffolder, rough as anything. And then he ended up working for the Bible Study Society, working with MPs in Parliament, and he's just now standing to try and become an MP back up in Bootle. His whole life totally changed because his mind came alive when he came to know Jesus. Jesus. 